if you would uh, keep your eyes on these verses or keep your screen parked here at Genesis 21, seven verses this morning. We're going to do some work. Part of hearing God's voice is understanding what we're reading in God's Word. Now, I am sure that I'm not the only person in the room who ever heard some sort of a threatening warning uh, at home from my parents. Uh, boy, you had better get it together or, or else this is going to happen. And maybe uh, bad memories are, are flooding your brain of your, your childhood disobedience. Uh, perhaps your parents uh, stepping in, mom or dad or, or whoever was in charge at that point stepping in. And uh, perhaps you didn't want them to follow through. Maybe uh, follow asleep and they'll forget about it. Or uh, maybe I'll change the conversation or sweet talk them or say something nice and just try to get the whole thing uh, turned in a different direction. Well, uh, these, these words here in the, in the very beginning of chapter 21 are, are anything but, aren't they? If you look at the first verse, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Did to Sarah as he had promised. And when we hear these phrases, when we see the Lord twice in the same verse, I want to just ask yourself, what emphasis do you think God has for this text, this telling of the birth of Isaac? What emphasis do you think it has for us to hear and to understand? Are we supposed to think to ourselves that somehow Abraham and Sarah deserved or by their behavior were worthy and made worthy of the birth of Isaac? I hope you're answering to yourself, no. The force of the action as this part of the story is beginning to be told, is on God. The Lord visited Sarah. And then the Lord did to Sarah. And then in verse 2 we see that she conceived and bore Abraham a son. So, the way in which this is structured, the way in which we understand the story, we need to come to the conclusion that words matter. How we hear God's word matters. And we see here that God is acting. For you and for all of us this morning to think and to hear and to understand and hopefully relish the truth that there is a being, a God, who is outside of our existence, who can come into our lives and act. He works with us. It is His character that He works with broken and sinful people. He works based on His mercy. He works to show that He is capable of complete and perfect faithfulness and fulfillment of the promises He makes. Now, 
what is the role then of Abraham and Sarah? Verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. Those are some powerful words. Next week, we will observe the sanctity of human life as part of our morning worship. We had a chance to uh, take a baby bottle and uh, give an offering for active pregnancy services. And maybe this week, you'll hear some things about the anniversary of the Supreme Court ruling. Roe versus Wade. That's what happens this uh, time of year. We hear those uh, things, we hear those remembrances, and I, I am so thrilled that here we just happen to be in our study of God's Word, and we see that that God worked in a way in Abraham and Sarah, and He, he had a promise while this child was in the womb, before the child was conceived, God had a promise and God had an intention for life. Would you please see God's value on human life? And you might say, oh, well, that's just, uh, that's, that's just Isaac, and that's just Jesus, and that's just Paul, and these superstar people that God brings out of the Bible, and uh, God had a purpose for their lives, and, and John the Baptist, and a few others, and we can see God's work in, in the womb for those types of people, but no, it's true for all of us. We see God working in that way. And in this way, uh, we, we see God blessing. And I'm going to call this the growth of Abraham and Sarah. Don't lose sight of our title uh, this morning, which talks about repentance and obedience. You may be scratching your head, but where's repentance? We'll get there. I want to show you what's going on. We'll be doing some zooming in and zooming out as we go along. But if you just think about the whole idea that God is going to allow a woman nearly 100 years old to conceive and to give birth and scratch your head. So you know what I did? I, had, I couldn't resist. I had to do a Google search. Who is the oldest woman to ever give birth? Manga Yama Yara Marti is the name that I came up with. And I love the article that I read. It, said, it kept saying she reportedly gave birth to twins. <laughs> Almost like you can't really believe that this would happen. Anybody want to venture a guess how old she was? Anybody want to venture a guess? 74 years old is, is what I saw. And uh, listen, maybe I could have said the name and somebody would have known that. I've been surprised <laughs> up here before what people know. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't believe that. So that's, that's for us, and that is a one in a, a forever and in, in I won't get into all the, all the details of conception and all that kind of stuff. You can do that research on your own. But for us to see this today, we see Abraham and Sarah as a couple who certainly have their ups and downs when it comes to obedience. I have a scripture up here from Hebrews 11. And this is thousands of years later and looking back thousand years after these events and looking back and describing Sarah this way by faith, Sarah her, herself received power to conceive even when she was past age since she considered him faithful who had promised. I'm hopeful today that we we see Abraham and Sarah and Sarah specifically in light of faith. 
and what it means. As we understand God's character, we see who He is, and we see the demands that faith places on us in interacting with what we want and who He is and what we think He might do and what we think He can't do and, and all these things and God continues to call us to walk by faith. And so I want to bring this into the, the context of where we are, which is the birth of a child. Now, as you think about that in your life, for some, you are going to think of great struggle. You may have desires to have children, and it's not happening yet or in, in the way in which you had envisioned, I want to encourage you to, to press farther into who God is. Seek Him out as you wait for His purposes in your life. I'm not going to give broad answers to those specific situations, but in to encourage, instead to encourage a depth of faith and prayer. For some, when it comes to thinking about children and childbearing, it is great pain. This whole exercise has brought tragedy and loss that are impossible to describe. And for many parents, it is a great mixture of joy and exhaustion and perhaps many other emotions or adjectives depending on the day. But the thing that we see that is so powerful in Sarah and attributed here to her and to Abraham is the faithfulness of God and the process then that is coming about as they're relating to him it, it, God's character and understanding it demands faith. I want to make a specific application here for parents, for grandparents, for family members who have concern for the upbringing of young children. Most parents have great concern for kids. And what I'm hopeful today will happen is that we would allow this passage to steer us away from judgment and comparison. At some point in their development, it would have been difficult for us to recommend sending you to Abraham and Sarah for advice about parenting and marriage. The difficult. These are people who are doing some things that are in their own strength, in their own power, and marriage, trying to bring his child about, and oh boy. And so, what I want us to see happening this morning is the way in which they are growing through this. Information about parenting is everywhere. It is very accessible. You can get online, you can read articles about all the things that you're really supposed to do if you're a good parent or a good grandparent. And you can you can go and you can get all this information and it can easily feel overwhelming. I feel like this is a pastor. There is so much information. If I took time to process and to develop a plan of action for every article I read in a week about how to be a better pastor or this dynamic in the church and you have to think about I literally, I'm telling you, I would get nothing else done. And sometimes maybe you feel that way as a parent or as a grandparent or somebody who's invested in the development of the child. You think, there is so much information. I don't even know. I can't live up to any of this. I must be a total failure. And then you compare yourself to the person who's taken a hundred pictures and they posted the best one and you think, oh, I'm such a loser. 
have that experience. I must not be able to provide for my kids as well as so and so. This is all madness. This is really sometimes the world that we live in, and it is so far removed from this simple provision that we see by God into the lives of Abraham and Sarah. I wish uh, at the end of last week's message, in between chapter 20 and 21, there was a little more detail. I wish we could see how Abraham and Sarah repented of this sin, of this ruse, wherever they went. Uh, Sarah was uh, Abraham's sister and not his wife, and in about 25 years we talked about they were doing this. And I kind of wish that we saw this interaction with God where God worked in their life to get this straight. I believe it happened. With all my heart, I believe it happened. I believe God had to uproot that sin from them in order for the birth of Isaac and that promise to be fulfilled. But we don't get that interaction. But we see that they're growing. We see that God is continuing to work in their lives. It is a blessing when there is repentance and when there is growth. And let me just submit maybe one thing I thought of for why we don't have more about their reaction is because this passage, and we're going to get more into uh, the understanding of this passage, uh, this passage is about the greatness of God. And sometimes when we focus on ourselves and how miserable we are, we can diminish the greatness of God. Sometimes the greatness of God is displayed and we repent and the story is in our repentance. The story is God's greatness. So consider that as uh, just for, for what, it, what it's worth, let's look at their alignment this morning uh, with God. We see His character, we see Him working with them, and willing to continue to work with them, be encouraged by that. Uh, we've sung about that, heard about that this morning. Thoroughly, throughout this service, we have seen what it is for God to, to work in people's lives who have great need. God works in their lives, they end up aligned with God at this point in the story in their obedience, and it is not because they have a spotless character. The broader context, as we know, is that up and down and sometimes all over the road, Abraham and Sarah have gone in obedience. If you're in English class and you read 12 to 22, and your English teacher said, give me some themes of this section, Give me some themes of this the development of the story. Tell me a little bit about it, will you? One of the things you're going to, to see here is that these people have their high points and they have their, their low points. You might call it an inconsistent obedience. And so it's not because of their spotless character that they end up aligned from God. I hope that this is causing you to ask yourself some questions this morning. How do I get aligned with God? Do I work really hard? Do I rely on the amount of time that I've been a believer or part of the church? Do I align myself with my family? Or hey, you know what? Somebody that I know in my neighborhood, they're a Christian, and so uh, I must be okay with God because I'm good with that person. None of those things truly align our hearts with God and give us a right standing with God. If you're a note-taker, put down Genesis 15 and verse 6, and we see that Abraham's standing with God there is not based upon his works, it is based upon his faith. God calls us to the very same thing. 
Any character that we have that is changing, growing, developing, any obedience that we desire to have, those desires are transferred to us when we repent and we say, God, I put my faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross in my place. I surrender. I cannot make my salvation happen. I cannot get right with you on my own strength. I trust Jesus who made me right with you. That's the truth. And that stands opposed to the way a lot of people approach God. They figure, I'll be okay if I just do enough good things, better than so-and-so, better than enough people, and then I'll get to uh, heaven when I die, and why should you let me in? And I'll have a pretty good record of staying out, and I'll get in. Well, that's false. What we see in, in here, in, in the story of Abraham in Genesis, and what we see in the New Testament, is that any any desires that are godly, any drive to obey, it should not come from ourselves to be in comparison to anybody else. It should come from God. Here's Philippians. Here's the New Testament. Let's fast forward again a couple thousand years into the New Testament and see if this lines up. These verses show that Paul says, I count everything as loss. Because of what? Because of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And so what the, the story here is that Paul wants to be found in Christ. He's not attached to his achievements. He's not attached to material things. He's not attached to his background. He's not attached to his citizenship. He's not attached to any of that stuff. He wants his identity to be aligned with Christ. So what happens? He doesn't have a righteousness. He doesn't have a standing with God. That's his own. It doesn't come from obeying the law. It comes through faith in Christ. Repeat. Depends on faith. But I may know him. This character, it comes from outside of us. And so when we see Abraham and Sarah aligned with God in these verses in obedience and God blessing them and, and providing for them a son in their old age, we can't look at how great they are. We have to look at how great their faith in God is. We have to look at how great God is and how He draws them in in faith. There's a sense we zoom out and we see that. Now that when we zoom in and we see some of the things that are happening here, that we see their obedience and their faith in response to the character of God. And that's what I want to challenge us with this morning. They obeyed because God was making himself known. Now, let's keep going here. Uh, they called him Isaac. Obedience, verse 4, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God had commanded him. I'm going to go back, and you can look a few chapters back, and you can see how God instituted the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, and here he simply obeyed what he had been commanded to do. And then there's all this stuff that happens, and uh, you might wonder why Sarah, in verse 6, it says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me, and it's not a comedy routine that she's had a child in, in old age. What's happening here is that she has an exuberance and a praise and a response to who God is. It's incredible. 
There's a, this is a, a, a view as we zoom into this where Abraham and Sarah are, are really walking well in their faith with God. And he's working and he's providing and they're doing the things and they're, they're giving him the glory. And that, so her obedience here is, is to say, I, this is joy and praise. Last week it was, can you believe they did this? And here it is, we're, we're, we're joining them. Verse 7, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I born a son in old age. It's almost like there's, there's other people who are doing it. So, so think about, again, think about the theme, think about English class. What is, what is going on? So this type of literature uh, is a story. Now, wow, Kevin, that's brilliant. Thank you. Well, it is compared to different types of literature that we find in the Bible. Uh, if you read the New Testament, I uh, just referred you to Philippians. Well, that's a letter that Paul wrote uh, from jail, and he wrote it to the Philippians. And it was designed to encourage and instruct in a specific way. This is a narrative where we see characters and there are different arcs and uh, timelines and sorts of things like you would see in, in different stories. And, and the way that the story is moving along. And in these stories, uh, what makes a movie really cheesy? Right? Sometimes a movie gets really cheesy when the people are kind of, who made it are kind of stumbling over themselves to make sure you get the point. They won't just pull back on, on the information and let the plot speak for itself, will they? And so they get in their way, they stumble over themselves, and then it becomes something like, okay, I get the point. Uh, uh, speaking of sanctity of human life, has anybody seen the movie Unplanned? Couple? Wow. See Unplanned. I want to challenge you about that in, in advance of next week. It's not always available. It's not, obviously not in the theaters anymore. But uh, go ahead and look that movie up. There's a scene in that movie. Uh, the, the plot has to do with uh, a woman who was running a planned parenthood clinic. And she became convicted of what was happening in that clinic. And she quit. And uh, the, the movie tells some of the story of how this all came about. And I won't ruin the whole thing for you, but one of the scenes is that she, as this director, uh, she is pregnant. And one day, uh, after the, the clinic closes, at the clinic, her co-workers bring out gifts and balloons and stuff, and they're having this baby shower for her at the clinic. Now, I'm a viewer. I'm in a, I saw this uh, with APS. Uh, they had run a theater and we got to see this, um, this movie. And I'm with a bunch of people who start to nod and say, we understand the point. Now, they didn't stumble over themselves in making this movie to, to make sure that we, got, we just got the point. And sometimes stories are told that way, so we get the point. You may wonder why there's not more detail in some of this narrative about Abraham and Sarah. I Sometimes I wish there was, and I can't wait to get to heaven and find out some of the things that we don't know. I can't wait for that. But this is what we have, and I'm not suggesting to you that it's insufficient. It's enough for us to get the point. They knew who God was. The first verse of this chapter showed that the Lord had visited. He had visited them. From the way back in chapter 12, when God just burst onto the scene 
Abraham's life and said, hey, up, we will move now. He went. And God had visited them. He had been close to them. They had seen him. And so others are going to hear about this. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Well, I hope that we're relating to God in such a way. Uh, here's John 4. And there's this amazing character in, in the Gospels. Of, she's the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus tells her all this stuff about her life and her sin and some of the things that are going on. And, and instead of uh, being real harsh with her, he, he has mercy on her. And, and she gets so excited that she's met God in the flesh. And she, what does she do? Well, they believe, these people in the town believe because of what she did. She had a testimony and she went and told them. She, he told me all they ever did. So the Samaritans come, they want to do this. And so this is that spirit in which they know him and they're responding to him. We see this beautiful obedience, we see God's provision, we see the circumcision, we see the joy and the praise, and we see this moment of fellowship, all because of God's character. The point that we need to see. So if you're in a spot of obedience, enjoy that spot of obedience. If you're growing, if you can look in your life and say, hey, 10 years ago, I'm not in this, I wasn't in the spot I was in. God has helped me to overcome these things in the last 10 years or 5 years. Rejoice. Worship the Lord. Give Him the praise. Laugh at how silly you used to be. We're selfish. And see what God has done. Say, yes, thank you, Lord. I was so foolish and he's given me wisdom and I'm, I'm living truly in different ways because the Holy Spirit's changing. We'll close today and this will lead us into our communion time to feel that tension of obedience. Obedience never for the sake of obedience. It's for the sake of drawing us closer to God because of his character. Responding to Christ, responding to the provision for our salvation. Just as Abraham and Sarah responding to God's provision in their life. Our obedience, we would do that. We have, I feel this tension uh, this morning singing about my sins, they are many, and His mercy is more. Boy, I wish I could just chuck the whole thing and stay in His mercy all the time and skip with the sin part. But no, I blow it. I need the mercy. This is what this time in communion for us is going to be about. It's that reminder that, that Christ died for us. He suffered. His body and blood. His body is substituted in place of ours. His blood shed as a payment that we can never We feel the weight of that. And the only way that weight goes away is trusting in Christ. And so what do I?